Um, hey, I want to I pray for us real quick before we um, jump into the um, message tonight. We're going to be doing a, a read-through of uh, Romans 9. You guys are ready? It's okay. That's fine. Ready? Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. We're going to do a read-through of Romans 9 through 11 tonight. So we've done that um, previously as we've been going through Romans. And here we are, a new chunk of scripture. So we're going to do that. Um, but let's pray for a minute. And as we were worshiping, I just, um, you guys know, I don't like the cold. And um, it's getting colder by the day. And, you know, that could put you in a bad mood. It, it puts me in a bad mood sometimes. And um, as we were worshiping, I just, I just got the picture of, you know, one thing that helps me get through the winter. We have an amazing pellet stove in our living room and we just keep that thing on and um, we just sit on the couch and uh, enjoy its warmth. And I, I just, I got the picture as we were worshiping of, of us just, um, sitting in the presence of God like that, just choosing to be close to him, choosing to be in his presence and just letting the warmth of his presence wash over us, letting um, the warmth of who he is, um, his nearness, um, just, just even thaw us out if we need that and our spirit. And you might be tired, worn down, weary, or just in need of more. Um, and I, I just, I want to pray for us both in this time, but also I just believe that's a picture um, for, um, for you and him um, during the week, um, whatever the situation might be, when, when stuff isn't going well or um, or you're just having a hard time and you could choose to complain, you could choose to be grumpy, you could choose to uh, see all of the negative that you would, that you would choose instead to, to, to draw near and to rest in his presence and receive of him and to let him rejuvenate you and to, um, to, to stir you and to, to give life to you. So God, we pray that. We pray that, and God, I thank you that this time is a is a is a picture um, of that. It's an opportunity for that, and we we felt it tonight. And God, I just ask for more, ask for more of your presence to just wash over us. God, I thank you that there's not a limit to your presence in our lives. And God, certainly, the prayer is true. God, we need more. And we don't always recognize that. We don't always um, position ourselves in light of that truth um, to receive of you. But God, I pray as you're encouraging us that we would. Mm -hmm. We would experience the dividends of being in your presence, just sitting with you, finding the time and the space, even in, in, the, in the craziness and the chaos, to, to just be with you and to, to let you do what you do best. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, one last thing. Um, I'm not going to talk long with the message, so a little bit more talking elsewhere. You know? 
compensate. Um, I mentioned two weeks is December 1st. Um, that is the beginning of the Advent season. Yeah, beginning of Advent, and there's um, four weeks all in December um, in which we get to celebrate the coming of our Savior and to um, to experience the truth of not only his coming, but us waiting for his return. And that's the place we find ourselves in. And so Advent is really a season to, um, to experience and um, acknowledge and to worship him in the middle of all of that. So um, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for um, our ability to do that together. And I'm praying into this and I kind of wanted to just give you a heads up on it. And um, so you could be praying into it as well. But I, I just feel like, um, especially during that time, the opportunity is ripe for us as believers to turn our focus from ourselves, obviously to him first, but also to the people around us um, in a way um, that perhaps can speak louder than it might um, at other times, um, given the fact that, yes, people maybe try to do more in that time, but people are also doing more, if, if you know what I mean. Um, and I, I think it is even the temptation for us as believers to turn the focus more on ourselves. And so I, I, I think that, um, what better time for us to display something other than that, um, to display selflessness and display Christ in the season for the people around us, uh, through our generosity, through our uh, love, through our willingness to pay attention, to listen, and to give of ourselves. Uh, so we're going to be um, seeking some opportunities to do that together. And I grabbed this, um, just as a little reminder, um, I think that it's a part that sometimes is challenging for us to get to. Uh, the, there's four parts to our growth map, um, encounter, equip, engage, and expand. And I think the last two parts of that um, kind of growth cycle, if you will, engage and expand, engage with the world around us and um, be a part of uh, expanding the kingdom of God and seeing people come into his family, I think can sometimes be a challenge, um, not just for us individually, but especially for us corporately to figure out how are we doing that and how are we together thinking that way and, and setting our sights again, not just on ourselves individually, but not just on ourselves together here in this cozy little space um, and with the comfortable relationships that we have. So there's going to be some opportunities for that. I want to kind of prep you for it a little bit in advance. And um, there's already uh, one that um, just to kind of make note of on December 8th, we're going to have an opportunity um, prior to service to, to serve alongside um, YWAM, who has space also in this building, um, to serve um, our neighbors here in this community. So we're new to the neighborhood. So um, 
it'll be a good opportunity, I think, for us to not only meet some people, but also to um, serve with some people who are already serving um, this neighborhood. The 8th, yes, December 8th, so second Sunday um, in December, we're gonna uh, have an opportunity to do that earlier in the day before service. So if you um, if you don't already have things planned, it might be good to just kind of clear space for that if you can and join us, all right? Okay, um, go with me to Romans 9. Romans 9. That's yeah, a big deal. This means we're we're in the second half of the book of Romans. Um, it'll be interesting. Um, this may be the last stretch we get to for the end of the year, probably. So um, the next two weeks. And so, um, honestly, this is a, a stretch that I haven't really preached from before. So that could be good or bad. <laughs> um, opportunity for brand new ideas um, but there's a reason I haven't preached from this stretch before um, and maybe a reason that many of us haven't um, you know spent much time here uh, Romans 9 through 11 just to kind of prep us a little bit before we read through it tonight is um, specifically Paul talking about the nation of Israel, the chosen people of God, um, who many of now are on the outside looking into the salvation that has come through Jesus, uh, which is a strange place for them to be um, because they're the chosen people of God. Um, and with that um, comes the reality and the good news for the rest of us, which is that the salvation that started with the people of Israel has, has now been expanded, and it's the, 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 the gift has been broadened in terms of who gets to receive it. So not just the Jew is chosen by God, but the Gentile. So for most of us in this room, we, we fall into that second camp. And, and it's easy for us to kind of live in the, the um, familiarity of this salvation being for everyone. But at the time that this, this message is spreading, um, there are many who still thought that the salvation was... Um, for um, God's chosen people, the Jewish people, and the Gentiles were the ones on the outside looking. Um, so it's kind of been like flipped upside down, right? And that's one of the reasons why it was hard for so many perhaps to accept the gospel message and what Jesus came with. Um, because people thought Perhaps we're already chosen by God. We already have his salvation. Why do we need you? Um, so in the middle of that, Paul begins to um, delve into that uh, tension and the, um, that 
kind of dynamic that exists in their day in a really um, evident and um, you could say relevant way, right? Paul is ministering to primarily Gentiles, right? But um, many of his fellow believers are still seeking to minister to the Jewish people and reaching out to them, calling them into the salvation that has come through Jesus. And so it's in the middle of that that Paul um, turns his attention from Romans 8 to Romans 9 to focus on um, this salvation that's come through Jesus and the righteousness that's come through Jesus and to really answer the question, what about, what about the chosen people? Where do they fit into this good news? To what God is doing. Um, so um, I just want to kind of give to a couple of themes and then we're going to read through it. It won't take us too long, even though it is um, three chapters. So some of the key themes um, that are a part of this, right? God's people, the people of Israel, um, chapter nine, verse four. If you want to kind of make note of some of these things, then as we read through it, um, you can kind of connect with that or you can come back to some of it later. Um, in verse 8, the people of Israel are, um, uh, he also talks about the, the children of promise. So certainly people of Israel would have been in that, but, but he's talking perhaps more specifically, not just the, the nation of Israel, but more specifically about those um, who have believed in God's promises. Then in verse 11, he begins to talk about God's election and then a little bit later about God's will. So talking about like, what is God thinking and what is God doing? Like the, the behind the scenes stuff of, of God actually bringing this salvation plan into the earth. And, and that kind of gets heady quick. It gets... Um, it could be a bit much even to think about, but but Paul um, goes there a little bit. Um, and in verse 30 through 33, he's beginning to try and address and answer how righteousness has come, but also who that righteousness has come for. Who, who has that righteousness? And then he speaks of the Jewish people and he talks about hearing but not believing or hearing but not understanding. And that's in Romans 10, verse 16. And, and part of that um, is this rejection um, of God's chosen people partly through the rejection of the message that God has brought through Jesus. And he says that that rejection has brought reconciliation for others. The rejection that has come from the, the, the people whom God initially chose, the nation of Israel, has brought reconciliation for others. And, and all of this is kind of um, touching on these, these broad um, aspects of God himself. So it's not just... Um, nation of Israel um, 
it's not just theology, it's, it's aspects of God's person. And so I, I hope as we read this that one of the things we take away is that um, this is as much about God as anything else. This is about who God is. And, and we're going to feel the tension of, of, as he says, God's sternness, God's judgment, God's decision making that may not always feel like it makes sense to us or it's good to us. But with that, we also see in that tension, we see um, this, this uh, wave of, of God's wisdom that, that surpasses um, anyone else's. And so there's this, there's this ability and this need to, to rest in the fact that God knows stuff that we never could. Um, so God's wisdom, his kindness, and his patience. Um, 9, 25 through 26, 10, 20, and 21, 11, 1 through 5, and 11, 32. If you didn't get all that, sorry. I'll, you can ask for it later if you want it. You can just look for it or listen for it as we go. And then these last two themes that I think are, are so vital in this. Um, one, humility in salvation. Humility in salvation. It's kind of, uh, I was picking up on that a little bit, maybe because I was already thinking about it, but with what Rebecca shared earlier, reflecting back on on what God has done for us. And it should produce this humility as we recognize, God, I didn't deserve this, but you gave it to me anyway. It should humble us. Um, it, should, it should keep us sober. So um, humility and salvation, chapter 11, 17 and 18. And then this last theme, which really is, is where it ends, um, is hope for all. That, that in the gospel, there's hope for all. All who uh, are, are here, regardless of whether they're currently on the outside looking in or on the inside, hope for all through the kindness and wisdom and, and mercy and patience of God. Hope for all. Okay? All right. With those things in mind, let's, um, let's jump in. Let's read this together. And however you best uh, process that, you can close your eyes and listen. You can take notes if you want, um, or you can read along with me. Romans 9, before I start, I'm just going to <clears throat> Okay, Romans 9. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It is not as though God's word has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. 
nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raise you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only for the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one whom is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom, we would have been like Gomorrah. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? A righteousness that is by faith, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal? Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. 
chapter 10. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How, then, can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. I asked them, did God reject his own people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed to the knee of Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but 
The others were hardened as it was written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Again I asked, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles. And as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry and the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For in their rejection brought reconciliation to the world. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of their dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourselves to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him 
and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. All right, let's pray. We're going to take communion. God, we, we just echo those words from Paul. We praise your name. We bless you. In your infinite wisdom and your judgments, knowing that your judgments are true and good and right. And in your mercy. And God, that we, we sit here tonight as a people who are bound up to disobedience and yet a people we have mercy on. And so we bless you for that and God, we receive the truth of that again and God, we confess even now our disobedience that still exists that God, you are by your spirit helping to do away with. And we thank you for the mercy that persists. And God, we, we pray as we come to the table that we would come as a people who believe. A people who believe in the sufficiency of what you've done for the past, the present, and the future. And that that sufficiency would be the thing that would keep us, strengthen us, sustain us to thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anybody tonight? We come and take communion.